0: One day, as we sat talking, Jesus asked, can you show me a place where you are creating things in your life? We stood up together, and I walked him into the kitchen. I had all the standard tools and trappings of a modern kitchen, but most of them were safely tucked away under counters, mostly unused, and certainly not used in the way they could be. He looked at me, and then took a quick inventory of what was in the pantry, drawers, and cabinets. Even poked through a couple of cookbooks, noting the simple and very few recipes I had smudged with use. He looked up at me from the pages, and his eyes sparkled. You have everything you need, my friend. This kitchen is ready. Are these little recipes the only thing you have been producing in your Christian life for others? His eyes turned back to the book he was holding. I hesitated to answer some of these things I had shared with others, but mostly I had been making them for myself. Well, I said, Lord, that is the best I can do. I know it isn't much, and I really want to do more. But this is all the skill I have. I've never been taught. Would you like to do better, he asked. Yes, I replied. As he spoke to me, he gathered ingredients and tools I had never combined before. Remember, you don't have to do this alone. I have promised you my Holy Spirit. Relax into my power. Let me work through you. As you learn more and more to trust me working through you, the better this will go, and the more you'll be able to share. Then we got to work. Now that we work together, I've made things I never would have dared on my own. I've been able to give nourishing gifts to my community and to strangers alike. I've been able to connect with others and offer things to God's kingdom I never imagined could come from my hands.
1: good morning first press really glad that you are here oh wow there we go really glad that you are here today my name's eric hansen i am one of the pastors here and we are um, taking a bit of a tour through the human heart during this advent season as we await the um, opportunity for us to celebrate the birth of um, the son of god in the flesh jesus Only, by the way, if you're counting um, days of responsibility and decoration and shopping, it's 16 days, friends. Just wanted to let you know that. Um, As we wait that celebration of God's Son son coming in the flesh, we have been seeking to recall this line from Joy to the World. The first verse of Joy to the World goes like this. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. What I love about that one little line is how much it seems to indicate to us that God has come in the flesh to do something huge. Let the whole earth receive her king. The Lord has come in the flesh to do something systemic. And also to do something personal. Let every heart Prepare him room. Let every heart open wide for him. What I love about uh, these lines of our worship songs and our praises and our hymns is that almost always they reflect something that goes all the way to the very core that we find in Scripture. I want to tell you that, uh, as far as I know, I've never knowingly allowed us to sing a song that introduces some new, interesting theological innovation. I am interested in the well-worn when it comes to our theology. And this idea to make every heart prepare him room, there's lots of places in Scripture that indicate that God wants to enter in, and maybe one of the best well-known is this one from Revelation 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What we see here is the desire of the risen king. Not just to put it all to rights, as we say every time we celebrate um, the communion, but also to come in and have intimate relationship with you. How do we do that? What does that feel like? How how can we sort of take the right kind of account of who we are and what we're doing and how we're thinking and how we're feeling? And that's what we're seeking to do during this season leading up to, and through uh, Christmas Eve and even on December thirtieth. Two weeks ago, actually, the Sunday even before Advent began, we um, we started this series, stepping into the study, and the study is the life of the mind. What are the habits of the way we think and our patterns of our decision making the intakes that we have how do they shape who we are as we prepare room for christ to dwell within us last week we sort of went across the hall over into the dining room to have a, a look at what are the appetites that we carry with us how can our ambitions and desires be recast and reshaped as we make room for the risen lord to be in our hearts Today, as you heard, we're gonna talk a little bit about um, the kitchen. And I have to tell you, I don't have a lot of experience in a kitchen. That phrase about recipes, um, you know, being very few and well-worn is me. For me, uh, to make a meal, I really only need three ingredients, sometimes only two. Butter, something that is like bread, and cheddar cheese. I make myself a mean quesadilla, a really, really, really good grilled cheese sandwich, and when I'm in a rush, nachos. That's what I got. That's all I can bring to this moment personally. But I have to also say to you, figuratively, like many of us, I'm a little nervous about stepping outside of what my regular comfort zone might be when it comes to this invitation to prepare something for others. To live a life um, that seeks to serve Jesus Christ and the people around us. I'm I'm not always so good at that. And yet Christ steps into this place where we um, make food, not just for ourselves, but for others, and says, what are you doing to nourish and feed and serve those who are around you? So let's talk about that a little bit today, shall we? Let me open with a word of prayer, and we'll jump in with a story. Uh, Lord, thank you for bringing us all here together this morning, for your tender care over us during this season. For some of us who are here, this is a season that's filled with joy and light and anticipation and preparation, and for some of us, This still is simply a season of loneliness and memories of days gone by and hardship. For both cases, Lord, we know how desperately you want to be with us. Feeding us, being with us, nourishing us. And we pray, Lord, that this moment now, as we hear from your word, would do that for us. Want to prepare us to live more joyfully, with more imagination, with deeper faithfulness, not simply because of us, but because of what you are doing in us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. And all God's people said Amen. Amen. Okay, I want to start by telling you a little bit of a story. This doesn't happen very often. Probably, uh, It's probably happened maybe a, a half a dozen times in the times that, uh, that I've been here in Boulder. So I had a lunch appointment on Monday, and it was with this uh, really wonderful uh, younger couple from Dallas. They met... Um, After they both grew up in Dallas, and uh, they went away to undergraduate school, and then the beginnings of their careers, and then graduate schools were lived elsewhere, uh, graduate schools are done elsewhere, and now they've come back, and they've met, and they fell in love, and they're in Dallas, and now they're wondering, where are we going to settle down? We've been married for five, six, seven months. Let's pick a place. Boulder sounds awesome. So they uh, reached out to the church, a couple other churches actually, and said, we would love just to meet a couple people. We're trying to research and figure out what's it, what's it, what is it really like for us maybe to move uh, to Boulder. And so we met um, on lunch on Monday. It was a total delight. So fun. We had, um, they had a lot of really, really deep questions to ask me. They wanted to know, well, what is it... What is it like to raise children here? What's, what's great and not so great about raising children in Boulder if we think about settling down for the long haul? What are the schools like? In Dallas, a lot of families send their kids to, to private schools. What are the private schools like? You know, we've lived in Dallas with a certain kind of political climate. What's the political climate like in Boulder? <laughs> not just what we read, but what is it really like? So what's it like to be a Christian in Boulder? What's the relationship that churches have with each other? What is, what is that like? Is it, is it good? Is there unity? Is there a spirit of competition? A little bit of both? So what will it be like for us to be Christians in Boulder? And then they asked, I think, probably the most interesting question, sort of salty question for for all of us to think about. And they said, what is the idolatry here in Boulder? What does idolatry look like here in Boulder? So they said, we... we, um, we know what it is in Dallas. We were gone long enough that when we came back together as a couple and we lived in Dallas and we were with our Christian friends, what we, what we could see is is something they couldn't quite see or feel in the same way. Our people, our friends, they gather and we, you know, um, we'll pray before we dip, you know, jump into the chips and we'll watch football game and we'll talk about the things that we bought. We'll talk about the new store that opened up in the mall. It's like there's There's the idolatry of materialism and acquisition in Dallas. What is it here? What's the thing that um, we hold up as so important that we actually oftentimes aren't even aware of it? We've swum in these waters for so long that we don't even know when we're finding ourselves relying or dreaming or thinking about something that actually curves us away from God. What an amazing question. What are the things, they say, that the longer that we live there, the more we'll just accept as normal and that God will see as idolatrous? I'll let you sort of just ponder that for a minute. we already live in these waters. Maybe even unbeknownst to them, they were uh, touching on a theological theme that the scriptures themselves and theology throughout the millennia keep on coming back to and trying to explore when it seeks to understand what's, what's going on in the human heart. Uh, St. Augustine actually uh, talked about this quite a bit and actually coined a phrase that comes up often. Here it is in Latin, uh, in croatis in say. Now, I didn't know how, that's how you're supposed to say it until the Lord gave me a Latin teacher in the first service. <laughs> and she came up to me and said, you said that wrong. If you want to sound wise, which is a good thing, I think, in Croatus in say. And what it means is to curve in on oneself. And it's worth thinking and pausing for this moment right now as the, as the Lord is finding in this story of that we are in the gospel, that the Lord is coming in the flesh, pushing himself out of the Trinity, in a sense. What are the ways that we have allowed ourselves to curve into ourself? To make our lives more and more about ourselves? Self-comfort, self-interest, self-gratification. What they wanted to know is, what's going to pull me away and into myself? I have lots of things like that. Big things and small things. We we already have explored many of them as we uh, talked about Study and the kitchen, and next week we'll talk about the bedroom. Lots of things to pull us away. But what I want to point out today, as we're sitting here in the kitchen with the Lord today, what I want to point out to you actually is that the Lord has has carved out a different way for us. The Lord's ways are different. This idea that we'd be curved into ourselves and our own self gratification pulls us away from what the Lord wants from us as he abides with us. We see it here in this passage from John chapter 13. I have a page number on all these. That Bible in front of you needs to be broken in. If you want to kind of do your best to kind of follow along and go to the page number, feel free. We're going through three or four Bible passages relatively quickly here. John, or pardon me, Jesus, uh, in this part of the gospel of John, um, he's in the upper room. This is like the, uh, this is the last supper moment, but we don't see the last supper in the Gospel of John. What we see is somewhere during that supper moment, he strips himself down kind of in this embarrassing way, just down to a, like a towel around his waist, and he bends down and he takes the feet of his disciples, and they're gross and grimy, grosser and grimier than mine because they didn't have socks, they didn't have shoes, and they didn't have paved roads, and he washes their feet. And after he's done and he's redressed and they're having this meal, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. See, it's part of the human pattern ever since the the catastrophe of sin that we would want to sort of curve in towards ourselves and create a a life that is self-protective, that is safe. But Jesus says, actually, what I want you to do is get rid of all of that, all of that sense of pomp and self-importance. I want you to be be willing to do things and appear in ways that actually will maybe look foolish and embarrassing. I want you actually to do things that are foolish and embarrassing. And I want you to do them because that's actually what I do. The God of the universe comes in the flesh. The one who comes in the flesh kneels before those who are followers. The one who kneels before those who are followers gets his hands and his nails dirty for his own sake. No, but for the sake of others. Jesus is rummaging around in the kitchen of my heart, and he's wondering, what am I preparing for others? Surely not another grilled cheese sandwich. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 20 has it like this. Instead... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, what Jesus has in mind is that he'll come into every human heart and he'll upset the system of, of comfort and security and safety that we so much long for. And he'll ask you to not to curve in on yourself, but to curve out and bend out towards the world. Serve those who are around you. Look for opportunities to surprise them with the love of Jesus Christ. It doesn't come just really straight from you, but comes from Christ working in and through you. This idea is, like, everywhere in Scripture. Here's just a couple others. One of them is from Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. We know Jeremiah 29, 11, verse 7. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. You feel like you don't belong? You feel like this isn't quite your place? You you don't feel safe or what your place is in this city? Well, here's what I want you to do. Claim it as your own. Seek its welfare. Enact a life of peace and prosperity, not just for yourself, but for the city itself. Find a way to sort of curve out away from yourself and towards the goodness of those who are around you. Hebrews 10, 24, I think I've shared with you before that um, I memorized this passage first as a high school student in the form of a rap. And I'm not going to tell the rap to you now. It's No, I'm not doing it. But I have it stuck in my head. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is the idea, friends that we are a community of people who find Jesus Christ lodged in their hearts, seeking to expand, actually, the territory that we give to him. He says, as we gather together, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's do the surprising thing for this city and for our community and for our families. This is no time with Christ in your heart to be self-protective. This is no time at all with Christ in your heart to simply and try to find a way to sort of lock yourself into the room of your own security where everything is fine. Instead, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Jesus is getting into my kitchen. I don't want to do that. I'm not even sure I know how to do that. I have my way with my neighbors. They, um, they drive up and I wave. I have my way. I, I drive into my garage. I close the garage door. I hang out in my house. Sometimes I'll barbecue in the backyard. And when I leave my house, I'm already safely in my car before I leave. But friends, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love. And good deeds. A shocking kind of purposeful interaction with our neighbors. What if you move the barbecue to the front yard? What would happen? Flipping some burgers. Hey, you want one? How cool would that be? And easy. So would Jesus um has in mind as he says these things to us in the Gospels is that our life would turn inside out. I would willingly and lovingly find a way to do um, these things that echo and resound in his kingdom. Now, the thing that's, that's hard about that is oftentimes we just don't feel like we're ready. There's so many ways where we can try to find a way to to engage and and surprise people around us with the gospel. You could teach Sunday school. Like, I, I did that. I know. You could teach Sunday school. Did you know that we pour out dozens of gallons of coffee in this place every week? We always need help making coffee. Did you know that there are dozens, even hundreds of students at Columbine that don't have a tutor? Did you know that our church is, is run and governed by elders and trustees and, and deacons? Maybe it's time. But we hear these things and we're pretty sure, I'm, uh, I'm just, I, don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm ready yet. Now's not, the, now's not the season. You know, I just, that's for people who are more mature than I am. Or this is my favorite one. Actually, my spouse takes care of those things. <laughs> Friends, you have the living God in you. Not just your, your spouse. In You. He's saying to you, let us consider how we must spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Bob Munger in his little booklet, My Heart Cries Home, this is what he says about that. This is what he says. He says, the most important thing is not your ability, but it is your availability to God. The most important thing is not your ability, but your availability. Finding ways to say yes to whatever's happening with your neighbor. Finding ways to say, wow, that crazy interaction just crossed my path. I will be available to whatever God has in mind for me. I've never thought that now would be the right time for me to disciple university students, but I've been asked. I don't even feel like I'm ready for that. What if you just stepped into being available and letting God take care of the ability? What if you let God be the one who steps all the way in and says, yeah, so thank you for saying yes. I got it from here. You've been asked to be a teacher or a discipler or a leader. You've been asked to be on that nonprofit board for years on end. You keep on saying no. What, what if this time you said yes to see how God will surprise them with your Christ centered heart? The Lord rummages around our kitchen and he takes stock and says, You're ready. Are you available? See, the thing we need to remember is it's not under our own power that we do these things. Here are these uh, couple little passages. This verse is from John 14 where he promises us we're not going to have to do these things under our own locomotion. He says, he's getting ready to leave. He, He knows the cross is coming actually later the night that he says this. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. To help you and to be with you, to be present and to make you able. I'm going to give you the spirit of truth going on down in verse 26, but the advocate, the, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Lord's sitting in our kitchen with us, and he says, "You know what? you've got a lot of there's a lot here. Would you let me work with it a little bit and see what happens we'll do like bacon grilled cheese flambe <laughs> when we've prepared and welcomed jesus christ into our heart and he um, abides with us we have a power within us that makes it possible for us to seek the welfare of the city in a way that we probably couldn't imagine Just uh, the next passage, uh, the next chapter afterwards, he says it this way. He says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, there's kind of like a prepare him room kind of a phrase, and and I am in you, you will bear much fruit. And then here's the key. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So friends, the question is not really are you able. Christ is going to do it. The question is, have you made yourself available to him? Or is your life so curved inward, you're quite fine in the comfort of what you do day in, day out, that's really about yourself? And his loving care over us, Jesus says, let's try something else. I abide in you. I remain in you can't do anything without me. Just make yourself available and let's see what happens. Now in my own uh, experience, whenever I have asked anyone something even close to this question, they always know. They always know, where do you need to make yourself available for God to work? Where do you need to make yourself available for God to work in you and through you? Sometimes it's with an estranged sister. Sometimes it's with an offer to watch someone's cat for a weekend and you hate cats. Sometimes it's to say yes to taking on a a role in the church or in discipleship or in teaching young people that you've not done or wanted to do for quite some time. But everyone knows, because the Spirit resides within you, whispering. Where do you need to make yourself available for His abilities to be shown forth? Where have you been curving inward when you need to bend out? As we close today, can I pray for you? Learning how to be available is hard. And it also is the way of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the way you rummage around in our lives. Never strictly comfortable to just reside where you are as you observe what we're doing and thinking and how we're living and what we're desiring and what we, how we're acting in your kingdom. And Lord, we know that the world is such a complicated, overlapping set of circumstances. Huge pains and suffering in the world, frustrating relationships in our home or families, an ongoing feud with a neighbor. All of these things, Lord, you are eager to see redeemed and reconciled. Lord, I pray for our church. Like the servant that you were, would we, would we set aside our pride and just become available to serve you and your kingdom? Would you lead us to apologize where every fiber in our being wants to fight back? Would you show us how to adjust your, our schedule and everything we want to do is just binge watch Netflix? you lead us in the way of obedience.